Hello and welcome to Willosophy with Will Anderson. My name is Podcast Mike. I work here on the podcast with Will. This is our Willosophies compilation series that we're running at the moment for the next few weeks on Tuesdays and Thursdays. And it's a, it's a compilation of past interview guests on the show because the backlog of this show was so rich and deep and full of great content that we really wanted to highlight some of these chats that not everyone may have heard. Anything you hear and like today, you can find at tofop.com, T-O-F-O-P.com, with the entire archive. And there's a few years worth of episodes there to look back on. Today's theme is religion, one of the big ones that comes up a lot on this show. I think one of the best parts about philosophy is that so many topics end up getting covered, uh, which is how all of this becomes possible. And you'll hear a few different perspectives on faith and religion in this episode, including from comedian Nazim Hussain, who will talk a bit about his Muslim faith. Writer Jane Caro has a different view. She's an atheist and she's a bit more critical of religion. We'll hear again from Michelle Laurie, who's a keen Buddhist, but first up it's Dee Madigan. Dee was raised in a Christian family and this episode goes back to October in 2015. Hey, if you want to see Will live, he's doing some work in progress shows at the Comedy Store in Sydney from December 7th to December 15. WillAnderson.com if you want to get tickets or get some more information on that, you can like us or follow us on Instagram and Twitter. It's Willosophy Pod, P-O-D. But for now, over to D Madigan. Enjoy. Day and it's her first time on the podcast and uh, I'm going to ask her the question that I ask all my guests at the start of the podcast. Who are you? I'm the daughter of a Catholic priest, obviously not a very good one. And I, <laughs> <laughs> and I kind of feel that kind of defines my life, this sort of fighting against sort of authority and patriarchal kind of stuff. But um, yeah. Dee Madigan is our guest and uh, she is the daughter of a Catholic priest. Now that in itself sounds like it's set up to a joke, doesn't it? Look, it does. And it was, you know, hilarious. We literally spent our lives um, almost as a halfway house for ex-Catholic priests. Dad was always sort of helping them get out and whatever. On the way out. Yeah, he wasn't actually a Catholic priest when I was born, but he was when my sister was born. Though you'd be surprised (laughs) how quickly a papal dispensation appears once a baby does. Hang on, what what happens? Mum was one of his parishioners. Yeah, knocked her up, had the baby, and then <laughs> I, mean, I know, right? This is this is already fantastic. And this then, is like the Thornbirds or something. And then Rome, you know, sends a thing saying you've got you know dispensation to not be a priest anymore. I know that he tried to get out of the priesthood, and Frank Little, who was not the Archbishop in Melbourne at the time, but I know he was unhelpful in the whole process because my whole life growing up, whenever you heard um, Frank Little's name on the radio, Dad would harumph in his sort of. County Clare accent and say, little by name and little by nature. <laughs> I love that he was still zinging him after oh, all those totally, years. Totally, totally furious. There was an interesting moment. I'd love to know, does he still have an affection for uh, his religion and does he still have an affection for the church? Less so since, since he died. Okay, very, right. But um, no, he was. He was a, one of those. You well, know, I mean, depending on what he believes yeah, and yeah. depending on what happens. Well, indeed, yeah. indeed. No, <laughs> maybe, they, maybe much more so. <laughs> no, both uh, both my parents actually died while I was a teenager. But um, no, he was one of those guys who sort of, you know, insisted that you go to Mass Every Sunday, but would then drink a bottle of whiskey every night and not be a particularly nice person, which is another reason why I'm, I'm not a huge fan of Catholicism. It's interesting to me. Uh, somebody was doing, and you'll love this from a you know a PR sort of uh, like you know uh, advertising, you know, getting your messaging out there point of view. Uh, I heard somebody who was uh, being interviewed. There was a spate of uh, churches that were being burnt down in Melbourne. I don't know if you followed this, but they were basically they thought it was a, an arsonist who was a vigilante because all the churches had been churches where pedophile priests had been. And there was like four or five of them. And they had this spokesperson for the Catholic Church on. And at the time, they were just trying to do a bit of like, well, it could just be a coincidence. You know, (laughs) they don't really want to get into this area. And they've asked, the, the radio interviewers just asked, well, just tell us this. Like, Maybe you can tell us which other churches around this area have had pedophile priests, and then at least people can be a little bit more aware that, like, you know, they might be the churches that are target. And <laughs> this guy, and it was just one of those moments where the minute the words came out of his mouth, he, he knew what he'd said. He goes, Oh, that could be him. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. 
Did you see um, Pell the other day? He's, he's joined, he's a whole lot of bishops have written this letter to the Pope going, the reason the Catholic Church is on, you know, a downward, an accelerated downward decline is because we're adapting to, you know, we're adapting to too much modernity. And it's like, it's not adaption. It's, it's molestation that might be the problem. This complete inability of Pell's to see what the issues might be. Uh, Cardinal, uh, what is he? Cardinal George Pell? Yeah. Archbishop George oh, Pell? What is cares? he now? Whatever he is. He's terrible uh, George he's, Pell. He's an Australian uh, Catholic priest. He's probably he's the highest ranked Australian he, and he works yeah, at the Vatican now. Does, right? yeah. We have some internationalists, so I thought ah, I'd, they might not all immediately know that they have to hate George Pell. But do. Just do. Take our word for uh, it. He's a man who once said of climate change that he wouldn't believe it until he saw some evidence. I just need to point out one more time he works for the Catholic Church. <laughs> <laughs> Happy to believe all the mystery man in the sky stuff, but that global warming. <laughs> but, um, uh, and by the way, if anyone is listening and they feel like there's going to be too much religious bashing on this one, I would like to say in the interest of balance, my next podcast, it was with a brilliant uh, chaplain called uh, Jared McKenna who does uh, some amazing work and is a proper God botherer and we talk about God and Jesus and stuff for two hours. So he runs an amazing thing that you would love, Dee, called uh, The First Home Project and it's out of Western Australia and basically what they identified was with uh, refugees, with asylum seekers who come to this country and they're trying to settle here. One of the hardest things for them to do when they're trying to establish their life is get a rental property because they have no rental history and people, you know, just don't trust them. So basically what they decided they would do was they bought, when they bought their house, they bought these other properties and basically they they rent them to these asylum seeker or, you know, immigrant families so they can get a rental history and then they move out through there and other families move in and uh, that's how it works. Isn't that just a greater way of going, A, I have... Like something that I want to achieve, but instead of just like saying I want to achieve something, I'm going to practically go, what is a problem and how can I solve it? That's fantastic. Okay, so the other question that I like to ask people Mm. to start, and then we can talk Mm. about everything, uh, is uh, do you have a philosophy? The the podcast is called Philosophy, and I I like to ask people if they have a philosophy. Now, it doesn't have to be a deep thing. It can be a little mantra. It can be about love, life, anything, really. But uh, do you have one? Um, Look, I do, and it's one thing that I've, I've as I've got older. I've sort of embraced this more. When I was younger, I'd sort of wake up the next morning after parties or meetings or anything really and say, oh, God, I shouldn't have said that or I shouldn't have done that. You know, that kind of angst you put on yourself. Uh-huh. And as I've got older, I'm all, my philosophy now is when in doubt, say it anyway. Oh. And then don't crucify yourself about it. Cause, but then, but coupled with that then is a willingness to give people more room as well to stuff up because you uh-huh. have to if you're going to do it to yourself. You have to sort of, you know, be brought as well and accept that everyone says dumb things occasionally and that's okay. I mean, that's uh, something that I think we're lacking from the modern-day contest of ideas, which is like we have this amazing capacity these days with the internet and with, you know, social media and with like, you know, well, everything really. A capacity to communicate with each other has never been greater. But – this I like basically what happens now is whenever anybody makes one little mistake, there is this pack mentality that like is like we crucify those people, and what happens eventually is people stop saying things because they don't want to be crucified. You see these people getting off Twitter and places like that because they've said one or two things that are in. Um, I always think you know there was a uh, some criticism of uh, Joss Whedon, that you know the the movie director, and that's fine. You're allowed yeah. to cr- criticize somebody. Um, about you know him not being feminist enough in his approach to the you know, Avengers uh, movie, and again maybe there's some legitimate criticism yeah. on there. But then it crossed this line into him being misogynist and him being, and I'm like, this is dude who made Buffy. Yeah. Like, I mean, maybe this time he got the yeah. balance a bit yeah. wrong, or there yeah. was other competing factors, or and it's fine to call someone on someone, yeah. but also just have a brief moment to step back and go, in general. Like if someone says something that comes off a bit racist, step back and go, hey, in general, do I think this person is a racist? What uh, out of the rest of their life? Let me look at, oh, hang on, they're doing a lot of work for Indigenous people like on the quiet and they host a lot of functions for, hey, maybe this one thing they said this time is actually just completely out of character for them. Look, I totally agree. I do think though one of the problems with that is people's inability to apologise correctly when they say that. That they sort of Tell me more about what you mean by this because this is a good area. Okay, well... When people stuff up, instead of saying, look, I'm sorry I said the wrong thing, they say, I'm sorry if you were offended. So the onus is on you. And that is irritating as anything because it's like, no, no, you know, not if I was offended. It doesn't actually matter if I was offended or not. Frankly, I think we 
you know, being offended isn't the worst thing on earth anyway, and, and no. we, we, we take offence at things too easily. But but just own own it. I'm sorry I fucked up. Take me back a little bit. Uh, so you, you grow up where? I grew up in Melbourne, um, in Hampton, and we were like Brighton's poor cousin. I don't know if you know Melbourne. Brighton's next to Hampton. Brighton, they always speak like this. Brighton, what do Brighton women wear to funerals? Black tennis dresses. <laughs> and we went to um, we went to a school in Turak, Loretto Convent Turak, which is why okay. I'm such a goddamn fucking lady. Um, but we were like the only kids who got dropped off in the Kingswood station wagon. Right. Um, and so it, it was Loretta, is that a Catholic product? Ca- look, it was Catholic, Catholic and it was fantastic education because the nuns there, they were all highly educated. They all uh-huh. had master's degrees. They thought very little of Rome's decision on um, the pill and uh, yeah, because they were the ones who were dealing with the women having all these kids. They th- and, right. and they're so, on the they're on the front line. Oh yeah, yeah. They're and, like it's all really great for these men in the dresses exactly, in Rome exactly. to be making these decisions. But so these women, they were incredible. The nuns were incredibly feisty. They were inc- they encouraged me to challenge all the way through. It was funny after school finished. The principal said to me, "I always thought you might have a calling." I'm like, seriously, why? And she said, oh, "I just thought anyone who argued as much against the Catholic Church as you might secretly have a calling." It's like, right. yeah, no, <laughs> really but, no. But I mean, but if you like, that's Jesus. Yeah, like, yeah do you yeah, know what I mean? Yeah. Like Jesus was the one who was like, was going, the arguing, on. yeah, but all this yeah. sort of stuff is. Uh, so you know, I could say it. Yeah, Maybe but, you were like a modern day Jesus to yeah, her. Yeah, not really. Yeah, Jesus is back, <laughs> and this time he's a woman. Yeah, I, I, I couldn't wear the ugly sandals. I think. But yeah, so no, did you? I had a fantastic believe, though. Did you? Oh, do you like, know what I did? And I always, you know, I, was, I never believed in kind of the the church as such, but um, I, I would have considered myself to have had a faith yeah. it's even until probably nearly 40 and I always thought that if I got to a point where I didn't believe anymore I would feel like something was missing from my life whereas I found it exactly the opposite just that freedom to think do you know what I don't I don't know what happens when you die but I do not believe in you know a magic sky daddy and I love that I don't believe in that and it doesn't change how I am I think I'm probably a better person for taking absolute full responsibility myself but having said that I've got this whole guilt thing because I've got my son and my kids in two of them will be going to a Catholic school and one won't it's only because it's a boys school and they've got great sport and the boys are really into it but um Josie my daughter I just thought I can't I can't do it <laughs> I'm going state <laughs> it's really interesting to me that idea though because of of teaching kids and I I, look I've said this before but I don't think I have said it before on the podcast yet because I've said it in the future in the podcast but I've already said it before (laughs) oh it's a weird time travel conundrum that one but is that I think that at school we should get taught about taught about faith but I don't think that we get should get taught about one faith I think there should be a class at every school whether it be a state school or even uh, like you know the religious schools uh, called what people believe. Yeah. Now I think a Catholic school should even within that parameter say, and here's what we believe. Yeah. But I think that it should be compulsory for everyone to be ta- taught a course because I think we'd have a greater understanding of all people if we got at least the basic tenets we, of what they we believe. We did. We were taught that at Loretto. We had yeah. a good sort of thing on on other schools. I don't on other religions. I don't know whether um my kids do now, but I know that my ten year old is an atheist, and right. and I so so which makes me not so worried about. About the Catholic thing because I remember when he was eight and he had to make his holy communion. He's like, Mummy, I don't believe in God. It's like, sweetheart, Mummy believes in a cheap education. Put your damn suit on, all right? Right. <laughs> D Madigan there with Will Anderson. If you like any of the chats you hear today, head to tofop.com, T O F O P.com for the full archives and the full episodes. Podcast Mike here with our compilation series, Willosophies. Uh, over now to Michelle Laurie, her second appearance in the compilation series, and she is a keen Buddhist. She talks a bit about her faith and belief system here. Enjoy the chat. Say the only way that the earth is... If the story of human beings mm-hmm. is that we survive, okay. right? Okay. Let's just use that as a, a basis, If right? you're hitting on me, I've waited for 20 years <laughs> Okay. If the basis of human beings is that we survive. Yes. Right? Um, if the earth gets so bad yes. and we discover that there is somewhere else that we can go, but we can only send 100 people, how do we choose those people in a way that we avoid the same problems that we would have in the post-apocalypse, the same mm-hmm. problem we've had now? Or do you believe that by the time they got to, like, you know, Earth 2, mm. there'd already be, you know, a couple of rich people who were running half yes. the thing and, like, there'd already be two people in poverty and they'd, like, someone would be yeah. someone else's subservient worker and someone would have been sexually harassed on the way there. I and do like... believe that. However, what if we cast it, not unlike a sort of I'm a celebrity, get me out of here vibe, right. where we just... In- <laughs> Where we ensure that we have those things 
And so that's how it works. Right. right? I'm, a, I'm an earthling. Get me out of here. Yeah. Right. We have some footy players who will definitely win because they're so good at conflict right. management, you know, and we have some hot birds. And Well, I mean, I guess it's the ultimate episode of Survivor. Yes. yes. <laughs> so let's just cast it properly. Yeah. We get Jeff Probst yeah. to host the Space Shuttle mission. All right. Yeah. Uh, enough of this silliness because there'll be more of this silliness as we continue to talk. But um, just for the sake of, you know, the conceit of the podcast, yes. uh, Michelle, do you have a, a philosophy or a, like, oh, yeah. I say philosophy, but it's like really, is there anything by which you choose to live your life? You know, is there something that helps you through, you know, whether it be work, life, love, yes. whatever? Well, that's easy for me because it's Buddhism. Yes. So I don't have to delve deep to try and answer this really curly question. That's fine. I'm on top of that question. It's yep. a bloke. A homeless bloke from India two and a half thousand years ago who reckons some stuff. Yep. And I reckon it fits my life in an uncanny way. I can't believe it. Right. I can't believe it. Every problem I have. Marriage breakup, kids with gastro, broken down car, parents moving into a granny flat in my house. All of that I can find in Buddhism. Right. And what is it? Like, I mean, uh, what's specifically in Buddhism or is it different things in different situations? It is, but I think... Do they just specifically have have nailed those four? (laughs) The specific tenets of the Buddhists. When Buddha's dad moved into a granny flat in his backyard, I was like, fuck off. This is crazy, Buddha. This is like my life. This is just like my life. Yeah, we are twins. No, you know what? It's the respons- personal responsibility. That's what really, I think, that's what it boils down to for right. me. Is the, is the, this is my life. This is my problem. All of it's my issue. Everything that's happening is, is just happening. And how I relate to it dictates my quality of life. Right. How I relate to everything that's happening about, around me dictates the quality of my life. I think that's something that yeah, some people feel inherently anyway right you know like uh, people ask me a bit on this podcast you know if you were asked that question what would you say and you know it's the closest i have to it is like i chose this right whatever situation i'm in you said that to me years ago i remember saying to you one year when you were just so you just seemed to have a lot of responsibility all at once and a lot of work to do and i remember saying to you how are you going how are you coping with all of this and you said to me well i chose it I was like, yeah, no, I did think about that a lot afterwards. And And I think that's something that people feel like there's a sense of that within people. And I think that Buddhism often is one of the things that I think it's why some people who probably have only read like a book of the Dalai Lama's quotes that they found (laughs) at a bookshop that they were going to give as a Christmas present but forgot to put in the stocking and left it next to the toilet and flipped through it and went, a lot of this makes sense. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) It's another old guy who gets it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's one of those things where... You know, so I think that, like, there's probably a lot of people who, you know, if they actually don't have a belief at all, but they're asked to, you know, describe one, they might, yeah, describe what they feel as being closest to Buddhism. That's it. When I started really reading and and studying Buddhism, that's exactly my feeling. I thought, oh, yeah, yeah, that's what I reckon. So, why did you start? Like, like, because for me, that's enough. You know, for me in my life, the idea that I... You know, I'm like, I've chosen this. This is what I get. This is kind of the way that I try to approach my life. Obviously, you know, the other one I I say a lot is it's everybody's day at work. So, you know, and what I mean by (laughs) that is, well, what I mean by that is everyone you interact with, that's their experience of you that day. Right. Yes. So you can think you're the nicest person in the entire world. Yeah. But if you're not nice to the person who was making you the coffee or if you're not nice to the taxi driver or if you're not nice to the person who was putting on your makeup at work, then... That's their day at work. Their day and their experience of you is that you're a terrible person. Yeah, you're right. So, you know, I kind of just try to remember at all times that, you know, you're part of somebody else's life as well. And the way that you interact will affect their day. You know, if you're Mm. shitty to them, when they go home and like, you know, their husband or wife asks them, how was your day at work? They go, actually, it was kind of shitty because like of this, right? Yeah. So at the very least, try not to fuck up anybody else's day. Yeah, that's good. (laughs) And there's a sort of... Buddhist side, the other side to that coin too is that when you have a negative interaction with somebody and you take it away and it normally sort of puts you in a negative mood and then you start acting out in that way yourself and so you start creating more negativity, more problems for yourself. And more, right. You know, that's where road rage comes from and all those things when you, you're so angry in the world and you think, why am I really angry? 
I'm angry because I got woken up too early. I didn't sleep well last night. I hit my toe on the way out the door, whatever. But now I've created, now there's a man with a gun in my face because I just gave him the finger on the freeway, you know? Yeah, car horns should have two settings. Yeah. One's your regular horn and the other one just goes, I'm not really angry at you. Yeah, absolutely. I'm taking this out on you. Yeah, I'm in pain. I'm just in pain in here. Yeah. All right, so but... Uh, Aside from having sympathies towards that direction and, you know, going, hey, yeah, that Dalai Lama quote's really fun. Yeah. What made you think, you know, I want to learn more about this? I, I was wanna... depressed. I was just really depressed. I, right. um, I was in Brisbane. I was hating it. And I got very, very depressed. And, like, I've, I've suffered from depression a bit, but usually I can knock myself out of it through a process of, right. you know, like just all the classics, exercising, eating well, maybe a bit of counselling, whatever. This time I just couldn't shift it. Yeah. And uh, I was actually quite suicidally depressed this time okay. around. Yeah, because I... And when you say suicidally depressed, um, without betraying any confidences, I've been close enough to this world to, you know, have seen various levels of it. Um, thoughts or like thoughts that you really thought about putting into action? Yeah. Thoughts and plans. Yeah. Yeah. All right. And like thinking about how I would do that. And, yeah. and it was all... Why? It was all because, it's so embarrassing now, but it's like all career stuff. It yeah. was all like this job that I'd had and lost made me feel like I'd finally made it into a really cool gang. Yeah. And then to lose it just felt like, oh, you were never in the gang, you fucking idiot. As if you were ever in the gang. Right. And that was so painful. Uh-huh. And, it, and for the first time in my life, I thought maybe I'm not going to ever get in the gang. Right. Maybe I'm never going to break through and, you know... This life that I've imagined for myself that I've worked so hard towards and I have made it to a certain point, maybe I'm never going to make it any further. And it was very, very painful. Right. So I thought, oh, I'll just go to the Buddhist centre and see. I don't know why, really. Okay. There's a Buddhist centre in Brisbane, Langry Tampa Centre it's called. And it was so great. And they had daytime classes and at 10.30 and it'd be me and all these old, usually old people. And our teacher was Eddie. And Eddie's a stunning... Um, Sort of tall, skinny Maori man who sniffles a lot, and um, <laughs> and he's just amazing. He's just the most incredibly wise man, and he would sit there for an hour and just blow our tiny minds. What, what do you mean? Like what sort of stuff? What what was he saying? Just, just it was Buddhism. It was for, it was basic Buddhism, beginners right. Buddhism. But it would just be things like um, he'd say, you know, Lama Zopa says that. Uh, the Buddhist center is like an emergency ward for the soul. It's like people only come here when they're really in crisis. And I'm sitting there going, oh, my God, I'm in crisis, Eddie. Right. I'm so in crisis. <laughs> and um, he would talk about like relationships. There's this great day where he was talking about um, dealing with people who, who make you or you behave negatively when you're around them. So yeah. it's not their fault, but for whatever uh-huh. reason, you act like an asshole when you're around this person. And... Um, I was like, yep, yep, I'm digging it, I'm digging it. And he was saying, you know, you can you can try and deal with it this way or you can just cut them loose. Right. I was like, what? You can what? Yeah. You know, you don't have to be friends with people just because you've been friends with people and if it's not working, you don't have to... Just that sort, sort of stuff. Just like, wow. Yeah. I just felt like my own planet for the first time. I was, I was so prone to influences all my whole life to what I think I should be saying, what would be cool to do here, what would be cool to say here, trying to make people like me. And it was just this really intense revelation of I can just be whoever I am. Right. Do you know? Well, you should be because you can't control what people think of you anyway. No, and it was all that, you know, it was all that. As hard as you try, you can't control it. And it's really hard to keep up an act and... It's incredibly difficult. So you mm. start going to these things. How many other people are in this kind of, you know, Buddhism for Omis? Uh, about 20. Yeah, okay. About 20. And sort of... We go every week. Yeah, right. And at various levels of engagement at that point? Or? Well, we were all the beginners, but yeah. they were mostly this beautiful gang of retirees who just like had all the time in, in the world and were really into it and they had so much life experience to bring right. to their questions and their kind of... So that was really fascinating to sit. And I never speak up in those situations. I get really nervous and inhibited, you know? It's like I don't want to be looked at. And really. wh- why is that? Where does that come from? Now, yeah, I, I mean, know. I think that's pretty common, by the way, with comedians, I think. 
I like, I mean, you know, I mean, I'll happily talk to a thousand strangers from a stage, yes. but I, it's, I find it hard to talk to six strangers that are, you know, I don't like ringing the restaurant to book. Yes, <laughs> me neither. I'm like, why can't I text you people? You know, and when someone rings you on your phone, you're like, oh, you freak. What are you yeah, doing? What text are you me. Doing? You sicko. Yeah, I'm the same. Absolutely. So I would sit there just like. <laughs> Even last night, I went to see uh, Dara Brain, who's this Irish comedian, and yeah. uh, I was there by myself and uh, it was at Hamer Hall, and I sat down next to some people who knew her, who I was, and they were really nice guys. And so, like, for 20 minutes, they were like trying to engage me in conversation. And I was like, I mean, you're nice and I don't want to be rude, but <laughs> what are you what doing? Are you doing? <laughs> are you I, I was really looking forward to just sitting here in silence for 20 minutes before the show. I thought I might check my phone oh and my now God. I'm like having to engage in a conversation. Oh, <laughs> I hate it when I get in the lift at work and someone gets in with me and I'm like, oh, fuck. Oh. This is like my last minute of solitude. Right. <laughs> what are you doing? You've ruined it. Yeah, so I'd just sit in Buddha class, just real quiet. I was the quiet girl in the class and these beautiful oldies would be, you know, back and forth with Eddie about uh, Buddhism. It was beautiful. And it really just immediately cracked me. I just went, yes, yes, I am in crisis, Eddie. Yes, I understand what you're saying. I feel like I'm remembering Buddhism rather than learning it in a weird way. Okay, that's a cool thing. It was really cool. And um, so I just kept going there once or twice a week for a couple of years. And it, it just changed my life. Michelle Laurie there, over now to Jane Nicaro, a writer and lecturer based in Australia. Jane's an atheist and she has a few criticisms of religion and belief and it's interesting to hear her perspective. Over to Jane. And as is usual, I didn't actually warn our guest about this today, but she's going to be fine with it. I'm very confident. I will ask you two questions at the start of this uh, at the start of this podcast, guest, and then we will just enjoy ourselves. The first one is very simple, and you should know the answer to, but I'd like to hear it regardless. Who are you? Well, my name is Jane Caro, uh, and I am a sort of wearer of many hats. I do a whole lot of different things. I speak, I write, I write novels, I write non-fiction columns, um, and I appear in the media every now and again, and I guess you could just say I'm a mouthy broad, really. You are a mouthy broad, mm. and that is what I like about you, and I like the general description of mouthy broad. So <laughs> let's get to the second bit, and then we can get on with yeah. the rest of it, which is, do you have a philosophy? This is I ask people on this podcast, and it can be to do with anything, and often we find that people have many more than one and they're much more complex than where we start. But I just do like to ask, do you, do you have a, like a guiding principle or a philosophy or something through which, a prism through which that you kind of live your life? Yeah, I think I do. And it is to, to, to be as truthful as I can. So, you know, if someone asks me a question, I always try to answer it as straightforwardly as I know how. And I mean, to me, that is possibly the most fucking brave thing of all, because I think we live in a world where so many people are unafraid to express their opinions. But the the problem, I think, at the heart of it is so often I don't think they're actually expressing their opinions. I think a lot of the time what we do is repeat opinions that we hear that kind of, okay, so anyway, let's not have me talk about that. Let's have you talk about that. (laughs) Well, I agree with you completely. There's an awful lot of spouting the company line uh, and there's an awful lot of worry about you know, is this right what I'm saying? I don't actually mind if I'm wrong. Mm-hmm. I just want to say what I think. And if, you know, if someone turns around and say, well, you know, I think you're wrong for these reasons, good, I've learned something. But I won't learn anything if I'm just spouting somebody else's opinion because I don't hold it anyway. Okay, so the first thing that I'm interested in there is uh, not being right because mm. I think so often uh, people are afraid to be wrong and this is why we don't move forward is that people are afraid that if they speak – they will say something wrong. Or I, I would even go a step further. I often feel that the reason that people get tied to opinions they don't have anymore is because in the past they had held that opinion and now they just feel like they can't move forward. Oh, absolutely. And it seems to be one of the greatest criticisms of our time, particularly for political figures. If they, for example, go on a journey on a subject, then they're oh, but you don't really think that because in 1994 you said blah, blah. What the? I mean, I would, A, wouldn't know what I said in 1994 and also I probably said a whole lot of absolute shit in 1994 and I've moved on. Right. In 1994, (laughs) we probably agreed that the Backstreet Boys were back. But they weren't. No, they weren't. It was just a moment. (laughs) (laughs) So I I think to be, you know, I really like that quote and I'm going to misquote it horribly here, but it's the one that says, you know, when the evidence uh, points out that something's wrong, I change my mind. What do you do? And I think that the ability to say, oh, actually, I never thought of it that way. 
that makes more sense to me and, and move forward is really important and missing. Um, religion is losing tremendously its power and this terrifies the very religious. You can see that schism happening. Patriarchy in and of itself is being chiselled away. It is standing on an ever, ever more precipitous kind of basis um, and you can see that the people who used to have power the people who expected as we started doing this to be deferred to just automatically because they were you know white men of a certain kind and a certain generation they're not getting that anymore and they are not going to let go of power without a fight and what we're seeing now is the beginnings of the fight you can definitely see it in the cultural wars. I mean, you know, safe schools were such a good example of uh-huh. like old white men of a well, not even just old white men, but white men of a certain kind and a mm. certain like yep. you know worldview where you got the feeling that they didn't have as much of a problem with the program as the fact that there were kids who needed that program. Yes. You know, yeah, that they just didn't want to live in a world where it was okay to be transsexual, or they didn't want to live in a world where kids were told it was okay to be gay. No, no, you no. You could be gay, but you still got to be teased for being gay and have a terrible <laughs> you, time and be bullied to be for being gay. For being gay. Yeah, and if you're dressed in different clothing, then you're a freak, and that's part of it. Yeah. You can be it, but we're going to tease you for being a freak. Which is exactly the same mentality which opposes women's right to an abortion. Mm. It's basically saying, listen, ladies, if you're going to have sex, there has to be a punishment Punishment. attached. Yeah, either a baby or an abortion. That's the two major punishments (laughs) for sex. But at least abortion is quick, simple, and easy. You haven't yeah. had one. Um, yeah, what's the real punishment? Yeah. <laughs> babies. Let me tell you, having had those as well. I mean, the fact that, you know, you would see a baby as a punishment is a terrible thing. But that's the fear. The fear is if you take off those controls, yeah. then somehow society will just descend into some kind of godless abyss. Um, now, personally, I think a godless abyss sounds like an awfully good place to be. But there you go. I'm an atheist. Uh, when did you come to your atheism? Like, uh, that's an interesting thing to me because I always, uh, you know, I don't try to judge anyone for when they came to it because I grew up in it. My dad doesn't believe in God at all. He's a dairy farmer, not, mm. and not an atheist. I don't think he'd even consider himself to be an atheist. I mm. just think he was one of those guys who just never saw the point or the idea yeah. of it and just has no real opinion on it. Yeah. We used to go to uh, Church of England, like uh, Sunday school and like church. My nana, like my mum's mum, like, you know, believes in God, is religious and so we would do it for her and yeah. stuff. And then um, uh, about 13 or so, I was just like, I don't feel like any of this really makes sense. Yeah. And then I just stopped and my everyone seemed fine with that. That yeah. just like, that was Wasn't just kind of how deal. it happened. Yeah. But then I see people like Dev, for example, who came to her atheism like really late, you know. Yeah, from Catholicism. From, exactly. Mm. And you see those people come out of it hard. Yeah. That's the thing that I see because there's, and I can be guilty of this myself, you know, like kind of the Ricky Gervaises of the world where I'm like, yeah, we get it, mate. There's no fucking God. We all knew that when we were 13. Yeah. Like, why do you bang on about it all the time, you know? But that's not my journey and I haven't been – I didn't have much that I was rejecting. Some, yeah, that's right. You sometimes sometimes uh, people who've just quit smoking are the worst anti-smoke. You know <laughs> yeah, I mean? yeah, because, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, what about you? When, when was your – how were you raised? Where, you know, was there a religious upbringing? When did it come to you? No. See, we were quite odd and I didn't realise we were odd. Yeah. It was normal to me. Like your family's always normal to you when you were a kid. Um, And it wasn't until I got older that I realised that in my, particularly on my father's side, there was literally no religious tradition at all. So none. None? None. So how does that happen? Well, exactly. We think from, uh, well, now we kind of know that that originally his family were Jewish. Mm -hmm. But at some point... We don't know when that was. Okay. They just moved away from Judaism completely and they moved away from it so comprehensively that there was literally no memory of it. And they didn't move into any other religious tradition. So they were just non-religious. Right. Yep. I mean, that very would have unusual. been very unusual. Very unusual. And then my mother's family were Methodists and mm. quite strong Methodists. And my mother was brought up to be a Methodist and was a Methodist until she always describes it as she heard a um, debate on the radio. She was doing the ironing. She had small children. Um, she had a very vivid picture uh, of my mother at this point. And she's listened to a debate on the radio between an Anglican archbishop, a Catholic um, cardinal, um, a Methodist somebody or other, you know, a group of, you know, highfalutin churchmen and they're all debating about whose God was the right one and she just listened to it and she said it came to me like an absolute bolt. They were all talking utter horseshit. Right. Now, my father is not 
like your father, he's not a big atheist. In fact, he would probably call himself an agnostic. Right. You know, he, he's sort of, he's not that interested. He doesn't bother having an opinion. No. It. It's, you know. Doesn't whatever. really affect his day-to-day. No. And he, he never thinks about God. Like, that just doesn't kind yeah, of enter that's, into it. that's what I think my dad probably yeah. is as well. I don't think he's ever had a decent enough thought to say there is no God. <laughs> he just right. went, well, um, God's not milking the cows at four, so. No, it's irrelevant to me. <laughs> yeah. This God, I think my father would have said, this God person, I don't yeah. know, this is the first this... I've heard of him. Yeah. <laughs> Who's this god everybody's talking, talking about? about? Is he a Pokemon of some Yes, god? exactly. <laughs> Where do I find him? Um, whereas my mother is now such a, a like lapsed Methodist. She's proving, my parents are proving your point absolutely, that you could call her an anti Christian, anti Methodist. And she is, in fact, very definitely an atheist. There is absolutely nothing. You know, she's really strong about that. Um, so I'm somewhere in between. For me, I find it interesting when I talk to people who have strong religious faith because for them it is almost inconceivable that I could be a perfectly contented, quite cheerful, you know, reasonably morally okay human being with no religious faith at all and not feel any loss of it. That I've noticed because I've I've co-written a book with – Three other authors, Simon Smart, who's a Christian, um, Rachel Woodluck, who's a um, Muslim, and Anthony Lowenstein, who's a cultural Jew. He's an atheist, but he uh-huh. was brought up Jewish. And me, who was an atheist atheist. Um, so my atheism, I was brought up. You know, I'm like, I'm yeah. like you see You were raised me. atheist. I was raised atheist, you know. <laughs> yeah, to be honest, I was just raised atheist. Yeah, yeah, uh, to be honest, like, yeah. you know. And, I've and never then I still, go to, I still go to atheist dinner on yeah. Tuesday, but, <laughs> you know. I mean, it's really. And I occasionally say to my mother, yeah, mum, God is bullshit, you yeah. know, just to keep her happy. Yeah, yeah, but otherwise, I mean, I still say bless you when people sneeze. <laughs> exactly. I'm, not, I'm not weird about it. No, I'm not weird about it. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, it's, it's kind of um, always been part of. Who I am that I just think. So let, I, okay. So uh, the next question for me on that is, uh, well, actually, there's two. I'm mm. going to ask one, and then I'll, okay. I'll reverse back to something that you mentioned. But the um, first one is, so then when you had children, mm. when it came to religion, mm. what was your approach in, like, you know, explaining to them, you know, what what religion was or how it might or might not fit into their lives? Like, did you have an approach to that? Yeah, I mean. It was quite interesting because it wasn't religion that really was when we first had those discussions. It was actually death. Right. Because I remember... I think that's where it first... Yeah. I mean, death... I mean, religion is just so you feel good about death, right? Yeah. I mean, mostly we're terrified of dying yeah. and we want to know that there's something better than what we have, yeah. which is why religion is so high in countries where people have terrible lives is because you've got to believe there's a better life than the life that you have. And in places like Australia where we have high quality of life, people are like, fucking why would I go to heaven, mate? Yeah, fucking exactly. Bondi's fine. Yeah, exactly. It's just down the road. Why? I always think, heaven, can you imagine a worse place? Right. Full of full, yeah, Corey full of, Bernardi oh. and... <laughs> Yeah, I mean, no, no gay people. It's no, like terrible exactly. time. It's like, what are we doing? Um, but yeah, but I, I am interested in like uh, the idea of like death because it can be such a comfort, and that's the one time where I am always very careful about people's religious beliefs is around death. If someone yeah. believes that their auntie has died and gone to heaven, and that mm. gives them comfort through that hard time, I find it hard as a person, yeah. just as a person, to say. You know, I, I would have some atheist friends who are like, well, you know, it's just bullshit and they're not going to another place and they should get I used know. to that. And but, but I'm not that person. No, not if somebody's getting comfort out of it. So what do you say to kids when well, you first start to talk about death? Because that must be a hard one. Yeah, it was a really clear moment that it happened with my eldest daughter. She was only about three, very young. And we were watching Baba, you know, about the elephant. Uh-huh, yeah. And it's one of the early episodes where Baba's mother gets killed by the hunter. It's amazing how many children's things start with the death of a mother. It's really interesting how many stories. It's the child's biggest fear, so wow. that's a way of working through it. I guess so, but like, yeah. wow. <laughs> it's really interesting. You think about a Bambi, he's, he's you know, like, Snow White, you know, let's go on. They're all, you know, the death of the mother. All right. So, chapter one, kill mum. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> You're a children's author, that's where you start. Wow. So, um, you know, the, the Baba's mother is killed by the hunter. And Polly turned around and she said to me, when's um, Baba's mother coming alive again? And I said, well, she isn't going to. And Polly said, what do you mean? And I said, well, she's dead. And when you're dead, that means you're you're finished, you're over, you don't come alive again. Baba's mother no longer exists. Baba is on his own and he needs to find 
friends and help so that he can survive on his own. And she didn't get upset. She just thought about it. And I, because my view, we go back to how we started. My view is always tell the truth, even if it's hard to tell the truth. So another time that this happened, and it's about Santa Claus rather than Baba. But well, weirdly enough, I was about to ask you that thing. I said, "Well, then how do you how do you go with Easter Bunny, Santa Claus, Tooth Fairy, etc." Well, she asked me one day. She was about six. She said to me, "Mum, is there a Santa Claus?" I looked at her and I thought, oh, "Jesus, uh, here we go, here we go." And so I said, "Look, honey." What answer would you want? Right. Do you want the answer that's nice or do you want the answer that's true? And she said, I want the answer that's true. And I said, no, there's no Santa Claus. She said, no, I didn't think there was. Right. And I said, no, there isn't. Doesn't it's... really make sense if you think about it, <laughs> does it? <laughs> well done. <laughs> and some of my friends got really angry with me because they said, but my, I tell my child there is one and right. now Polly might tell them there isn't one. And I said, well, I'm sorry about that. But I've made a commitment to myself and to my children that if they ask me a question, I'm going to tell them the truth, even if... It's difficult for me to do that because I want them to feel that they can rely on me to tell them the truth. Right. Because even if you tell them nice lies, well, you're still living in a murky universe where things you believe turn out not to be true. I mean, I do always find it interesting. I don't have children of my own, so Mm. this is all theoretical, you know, when I I think about it. Um, But that idea of... You, you're constantly telling your children to be truthful, yet we got constantly lying to our <laughs> children. Which about never made sense everything. to me. Never made sense to me. And I think I got this view very strongly from my father, whose absolute bedrock thing was be honest. Right. Like, I'll forgive you for just about anything else. But lying is not on and you've got to be honest, not only to other people, but to yourself. Yeah, well, so it's, it's surprising important. that kids like actually don't go, like when you're like, hey, do your homework. You're like, I don't trust you. You told me yeah. there was a fairy that took away our teeth <laughs> exactly. for money, you what liar. What would you know about homework and the Yes, yeah, exactly. Precisely. That was my thinking. I mean, maybe, you know, a lot of people didn't agree with me, but that's what I did. And the same with religion. I would be asked, you know, girls ask me, is there a God? And I'd say, well, some people believe very strongly yeah. that there is a God. Um, your father and I don't happen to believe that there is one. Oh, okay. I had my niece, who is now joined the family tradition of godless um, immorality, was a very, very passionate Christian from the age of about six to about 14 or 15. Her parents had no religion at all and Alice would take herself off to church and go to the local, you know, she was, and she was so religious and she would get terribly upset that her parents were not because she would say, well, you know, you're going to go to hell and I don't want you to go to hell, which is awful actually when you think about it. I mean, it's terrible, right? <laughs> the things, I mean, we never had that one. We never had the hell thing. No. I can't remember because I was into church as well because mm. like singing and I used to do readings and stuff. To be honest, Jane, I was into standing in front of people talking. Yes. But, you know, that the church was the only place <laughs> I could do it. There any, wasn't any stand-up any clubs around. Any pool people do. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it was a free gig. Yeah, but yeah. Got some cake afterwards. Mm. Uh, we, you touched on uh, godless immorality. Yeah. Uh, you know, and it comes back to that question that I do think is at the heart of sometimes the thing that can't be comprehended by people who have deep faith is where does your faith or where does your morality come from if you don't have like you know a guiding principle by which you you know 10 commandments yeah correct like the first five of which you say love me and don't love anyone else which is a pretty narcissistic thing for anyone to say yeah and Um, uh, as some comedian pointed out doesn't mention rape at all (laughs) not even in the top 10 or slow don't don't cover your neighbor's ass but maybe just sneak rape into the into the top 10 (laughs) just for the priests if nothing else just as a yeah yeah yeah. No, there's a whole lot left out of the Ten Commandments. Um, uh, yeah, it's funny, isn't it? Uh, it seems to me a fairly poor reason to try to do the right thing simply to avoid punishment. Right. That's a kind of infantile, that's a, that's a very early development stage in becoming an adult human being where you don't do this because you might get into trouble. Surely... You need to think more carefully about things like, and look, it is the basic thing, which is the premise of all religions and the premise of most philosophies, which is simply that don't do to others what you wouldn't want done to you and do do to others what you would want done to you. And that covers just about everything rather more succinctly and more comprehensively than the Ten Commandments. Well, the interesting thing is that the golden rule, which is what you're Mm. talking about, and it's like is at the basis of every religion, which is the thing that like people outside religions are so aware of, which Mm. is that idea of like, yes, 
you, I mean, it's the thing that always confuses me when a Christian is so angry at a Muslim or vice versa, whereas I think actually a Christian and a Muslim in some ways have much more in common than a Christian and an atheist in that at least they both believe that there is a higher purpose yeah. and a higher pur- And to be honest, those two stories intersect. Like yeah. some of the same characters overlap in yeah. those. You'd think they would, you know, be like, oh, you, okay. Yeah. Well, hey, brother. Yeah, yeah. We, both, we both think Jesus happened. Yeah. We interpret it a little different where he is in the it's hierarchy. level but, of importance, yeah. But we both have him as a character yeah. in the show. Yeah. So, you know. Going back to 2016, into the Willosophy Archives, Jane Cairo's chat with Willosophy there, tofop.com for the full chat. Up next and wrapping us up for today, it's Nazim Hussain. Nazim's a comedian and actor from Australia. Nazim's really open about his thoughts on the misconceptions around the Islam faith, as well as his own uh, thoughts that his faith is a part of his DNA. Really, really interesting stuff from Nazim, so enjoy this. And she said, but then we were talking to her, we're like, what is it about? And she said, I just don't know. I just have this fear that the plane is going to crash. And, you know, I know it's an irrational fear, but I just, it's, it's just it's this control thing that I have. And I actually just can't get over it. Um, and we spoke about it for a while. And then she ended up concluding herself that she said, you know what? I don't actually know anything about how planes are flown. I don't know anything about the safety precautions that they take. So really, I'm in no position to actually be a control freak. I am not allowed to therefore be a control freak because... I'm ignorant. Right. I'm not an expert. I'm not an expert. So her rule is you cannot be a control freak or have or, or really say anything unless you know what you're talking about. And that kind of, in, in a way, resonates with me. Because right. Well, maybe not even you can't say anything, yeah. but you claim can't claim can't, to have an absolute expertise. You can't claim to have an absolute expertise or even personally, though. You right. Can't, you can't really, you can't have an anxiety or you can't actually have a hang up over something that you don't know everything about. Which is what, which, which, I guess, at the centre of that is the idea of being, or, or is humility, and also, I guess, the pursuit of knowledge. So it's right. those kind of two things that I think that uh, that I really, I respect those. Two. I like it. This is good. I think this yeah. is a really great right. area. Yes. Because firstly, it, firstly, it has a lot of ramifications for our awesome current day. <laughs> it has a lot of. You can claim that now. Yeah. Uh, it has a lot of ramifications for a debate in our modern day society. Yeah. I think you've tapped into something that the reason that people aren't, aren't vaccinating their children, the reason that we're not having a decent uh, climate change policy worldwide, yeah. is because people are claiming expertise in areas that they are not experts. They in. have no idea about. Right. But like, then, yeah. you know, I don't know if uh, there is. Well, I know that there's climate change. I think most people admit there's actual climate change. I don't know if man-made factors mm. are affecting that climate change. Here's what I do know. Right. That an overwhelming majority yeah. of the people who are experts in that area uh-huh. believe that it's true. Yep. And our society operates on this. Like, we mm. can't operate and we can't evolve as a society mm-hmm. if we don't trust the experts to be experts. I agree. You can question expertise, and we always should. It yeah. should be rigorous, yeah. right? But you can't get on a plane, yeah. like to use that example, yeah, yeah, yeah. unless like we get on a plane instinctively because we trust that everybody's done their job. We don't investigate it. We yeah. The reason that the pilot comes on, on at the start and says, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to 30,000 feet and we're going to the east is not because we need that information. To sell his expertise, isn't it? It's to tell us, hey, read your magazine. I'm Someone up here has thought this through. I have a calm voice. You shut the fuck up. Right. And trust me. Right. Which I, I totally respect. And you think about it, if you, if, and I think, you know, I'm, we're both comedians and we are inherently and we're taught and we're trained and, and we are supposed to critique and critique assumptions and always just be a little bit skeptical and, sure you know and that's a healthy thing to have but if you were actually like that all the time you would be properly anxious and i don't think i think i was i was reading something about sociology okay. um, and about social philosophy and it says that there is a thing called a social fact or just uh, things that are, that are common across all people it doesn't matter irrespective of race religion ideology and that is the inherent idea that we need to trust each other okay yeah. if we didn't trust each other we'd actually just break down like if i if you said the tr- you know the train comes at 3:30 and we just didn't trust that idea we would you know question the guy at the box we would you know come 3 hours early like our whole life would be in it's why things like terrorism are so powerful yeah it's a- like it's why like the sydney siege where two people died very sadly or three people yeah. died i think including the the guy, the guy. Yeah. but but two people died very sadly in that situation. Mm. There are two people uh, dying of domestic violence yeah. a week in Australia. Uh-huh. But the reason the Sydney siege means that thousands of people lay flowers in there and it affects us is yeah. they were doing something that we all do every yeah. day yeah. and that we wouldn't leave 
our house without yeah. this trust that you can go and buy a coffee yeah. without there being a mad like you know what I mean Correct, yeah. like that's we rely on this yeah. as a society yeah. this idea that we're competing against each yeah. other yeah. is what's holding us back in a lot of ways because the only way that we achieve what we want in our lives yeah. is to work together with other people well I agree with you I think you know that guy Man Monis really wanted to inspire division and hatred and and sort of cut at and take a stab at that idea of trust amongst absolute strangers. And that's what he did. That's what he tried to do. But what actually happened was that we were, as Australians, we were inspired to actually come together. That idea of trust wasn't wasn't shaken, shook. We were all, you know, the hashtag, I'll ride with you, trended. Ordinary Australians were inspired to reach out and love each other more than hate each other, which, which I thought was just like, yeah, like... You, you have that fear that people are just going to immediately snap and that we're so close to this sort of civil war or just turning on each other. But I think that actually takes a lot more effort and it's unnatural for people. Also that yeah. most people, like, again, mm. in the way that most Muslims mm. are moderate, yeah, most people... Uh, like aren't going to react like who, yeah, most yeah. people don't think that yeah. you know all muslims are like that either yeah, yeah. and that was an opportunity i found it so weird mm. people don't have to get involved in something like that yeah i i didn't even like tweet about it because i was overseas at the time and i was actually coming back like yeah. I, I flew as the siege started mm. and landed it, it kind of it was all you know it was wow. over so it was a crazy Pretty time to be in world, the air yeah. but it was one of those things where when all the columnists came out and started yeah. shitting on I'll yeah, Ride With yeah, yeah. You, I was like, yeah. that was just people trying to say to other human beings, yeah. hey, I'm with you. Yeah. Now, maybe, like, I mean, I've read commentary you know, from the like Muslim writers who are like, well, I don't need this. This is patronising. I'm fine with all these ideas yeah, being yeah. out there. Yeah. But I'm also fine, and I'm fine with people going, I don't need it. Yeah. But I'd rather start with the position of right. us saying, yeah. hey, mm. If you need me, I'm here. In general, in society. Like, you know, if someone's going to punch someone else in the back of their head at a pub, that, you know, you step in, you say it's okay. If some, you know, like a girl should be able to walk the streets by herself, but if you see someone in a dangerous situation, maybe just step in because we're all in this together. Well, my sister, my younger sister, she, she works at a law firm in Melbourne and she, on the day the siege started, she actually texted me and she said, Nazim, I'm scared to go home now. Um, she was a she was a headscarf, yep. and she said, I'm, "I'm scared. I think someone, you know, I feel the same level of anxiety that I did immediately after 9-11. I said, "Just take off the hijab. You don't need to wear it. Like it's not, you know, it's, if you're not feeling safe, don't right. wear it." So she took it off, and she went home on the train, and she got home, and then that hashtag started trending, and she started reading the news articles about ordinary Australians saying, "If you're traveling from here to here, I'll ride with you. You know, if you, if anybody feels unsafe, I'm happy to walk with you." And she. You know, she was brought to tears and it kind of made me feel, even thinking about it makes me feel emotional. So then she then felt inspired and strong enough to the next day wake up and put on her hijab again and catch the train because she trusted just random members of the public knowing that even though it's just a hashtag, it comes from a place of wanting to do good. Whether or not people are actually able to then stand up and say something or do anything, that's a different story. But that's Right, but also question. the thing that I would say about it is that I think, yeah, and we were just having a a chat about this on the lawn before we started, but... um, On your expensive lawn. We've got the uh, extremists, like, you know, know, who are using religion, you know, to, as the source of their, like, they're murderers who want to murder and they've chosen religion to be the, you know, the justification for murdering people, right? And we... With this idea that by demonising that community more and making them feel more apart, that that will somehow make that better, that's going to make that worse. If you're taking disenfranchised people and disenfranchising them further. So even the thing that I liked about that was, because it's not often that you get to say out loud, hey, by the way, we don't get to mention this all the time, but we're glad you're here and we'd love you to be part of this country and maybe we could all do it together. Again, we've got to do it together. The thing that I always say about the people who are like, if you don't love it here, leave. I want people to love it here, but why why don't we make them love it here by going, hey, you know how this is like country's really fucking awesome? Like our way, like... Some of our ways might be you know, ways that you will also enjoy. Sure, yeah. Like you don't have to accept all of them. Yeah. Like, but there might be some of our way of life that the reason that you actually came here in the first place it's is exactly because because of those you'd things. heard about that way of life. <laughs> well, that's, like, well, I totally totally agree with you. Like, that's I mean, in, in obviously radicalization, extremism is there's a, there are a myriad of reasons why people go become that. But I think one of the one of the primary reasons is because Australians 
feel like they are on the margins and then they have a prime minister that comes out and makes them feel like they are even more on the margins and that their behaviour isn't in accordance with what it means to be Australian and that they are therefore out of the conversation. Their Muslim leaders are forced to condemn and then everybody sort of says, you're not part of us. So they have to congregate on the borders of society and, you know, they form another identity. But if there is a way that you could somehow involve them in the broader narrative and have them under our umbrella somehow and say, look, you know, radical politics is very much an Australian idea. We are critical of the West's intervention in many ways as well. There are segments of Australian society that share the same political views, religiously maybe not. So, like, it's and, and, and that's kind of what it is as well. We were just talking before about expert ideas, right? And what it means to... to, to when, that you can only be a control freak or you can only really say something unless you've, you know what you're talking about. But these guys as well, like radicals and extremists and of any religion or whatever, they believe in many ways that they are being guided and informed by expert opinions as well. Right. Which is which is the scary part, but it's also it's also an interesting thing because you see Osama bin Laden, right? Like the people people are inspired by what he says because he comes across like a learned man. Just okay. for the record, I'd like to say a big hello to everyone at ASIO who's now hello. tuned into the podcast. We've got a few more listeners. We've just got a few more of the keywords out there early in the podcast. <laughs> the usernames names are all John Smith. Yeah, drones. <laughs> Mosque. <laughs> but, but it's not a bit lying. Like, he, like, for, for lots of Muslims for, who, who are, you know, fighting the cause overseas in Syria, I don't like to call, I mean, you can call them Muslims loosely because I don't think they clearly follow the tenets of the faith. But they, um, you know, they would think that he's an expert. He knows what he's talking about. Right. Um, but, you know, similarly, there are other scholars who are present themselves as experts, just like with climate change, which is, you know, say, say, say someone like Tony, but he doesn't necessarily agree with the conversation that most progressive Australians have about climate change because he would say, oh, there are other scientists that say that it doesn't exist. So at the end of the day, it's kind of a buyer's market. Right. Um, but so the, how, how the idea you, how of... Decide what is well, consensus? I, well, I guess here's what I would say to this is, I think as a basic tenet yeah. of humanity yeah. that we have to, to survive... Yeah say that firstly that human life is sacred uh -huh. as as much as it possibly can be. True, so there does need to be that underlying agreement that everybody agrees that human life is the most important thing. Right. So I think that's a starting position for all, everything. For like, you know, because yeah. I, I, I've always been you know, a big yeah. proponent of the right to swing your fist stops at another person's face. You know, you can believe what <laughs> you can believe whatever the fuck yeah. you want to believe. Yeah. The minute it starts hurting somebody else, yeah. then we'll have a conversation about it, yeah. right? Yeah. Now then you say, well, wars have been fought over ideology. Uh -huh. you, you might mention, say, Nelson Mandela, yeah. a man who wanted to go the peaceful way yeah. but thought that the injustice that yeah. he was fighting eventually was so bad that they had to become violent, violent and pick up arms. So I'm not saying there's necessarily yeah. blacks and whites in all of these occasions. Yeah. I would draw the line very there much... There often are, though, and the right. whites tend to be wrong. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, surely that's brown and whites. So... <laughs> So the thing that I would say is that the minute we're killing innocent yeah. civilians, yeah. that's not a game that any of us should be playing. Mm. We can have a broader debate about the nature of war. True. And I think on both sides, by the mm. way. Yeah. Like, I don't think, but I think we have to have much higher standards well, for our ideas of like when we're bombing, when we're at, like at war with countries or yeah. bombing countries, yeah. This the standards that we hold ourselves to mm. for civilian deaths. I think... Every side, because clearly, if you're killing civilians in one country, yeah. again, that's kindling on the fucking fire of the Correct. people yeah, who. I totally agree. And this is going to make me sound like I'm a, an Al Qaeda sympathist, but I'm not. But... Hello to everyone at uh, the <laughs> NSA got, who's now listening as well. This is really. I've got a few more listeners in Afghanistan, Iraq. <laughs> G'day, my ISIS mates. I'm joking. But I'm um... just going to edit out, but I'm not. <laughs> and ruin your career. But those guys, right? Again, I absolutely despise that brand of ideology. But Osama Bin Laden, the way he inspires people to join his cause, or he, he did, and the same same as the ISIS guys now, is they say, look at the way that the West has invaded our land right. and killed indiscriminately hundreds of thousands of innocent civilians in Iraq. You know, we can't passively resist. This is, again, in the, man, in the way that Nelson Mandela took up arms defensively, this is kind of their ideology. So it's sort of like, you know... You, you, Though you, uh, you, 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 I disagree with what they're doing, you can understand how we got to this place. Well, 
you can understand how how we, how we in got that, to this place. You can understand how if you want to use this like the metaphor mm. of the mystery box on MasterChef, mm. Mm. that out of the ingredients they've provided with, yeah. they've been able to cook that cake and people have wanted to eat That's it. That's right. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah, there yeah. is enough things that have happened yeah. that you can tell that narrative. Yeah, yeah. And also you can lie a bit yeah, because yeah. you know uh, here's the thing: in the West, we would never believe a lie that uh, made us go to a war. Oh, apart from the weapons of mass destruction. <laughs> like I mean, if we're believing that shit. Yeah, then, of course, you yeah. know, the other side have got their shit that yeah. they're being told that may not be true that they're yeah. using to justify. Exactly. So I think across the world we have to have a higher standard for what we'll kill someone yeah. for, for a start. Yep. I think, because, I think that's it. If you are going to kill someone, you need to be across every argument, right. every idea. You need to put yourself in every person's shoe because... Uh, that's, that's, I think, you know, any any other decision. If you're going to go buy a toaster, you can listen to one person's opinion and go, all right, fine. And if it's a battle, if it becomes like a war, an ideological war, then, you know, but, and I guess that what that's what these people think. But as a, you know what? I, I, I like I said, I'm not a religious person. Uh-huh. Um, I don't believe in it. Mm. I, I perhaps, you know, mm. feel like that there is some, uh, maybe agnostic. Maybe yeah, like some life maybe force. Maybe agnostic. Yeah, but like a bit of yeah, but it might there might be some life force, or that might just be the universe, or it might be a natural evolution. But I do feel some connection, right. and there are certainly things that I can't explain scientifically. But that mm. I'm also probably smart enough to understand that I can't explain them scientifically yeah. but at some stage in our evolution probably somebody will be able to say oh that's why we loved or that's why we you know felt like this or that's why we had a connection to this or what they'll all be things that people will be able to become known. you know explain to us yeah. but but maybe also you know that idea of there being in you know i've done psychedelic drugs and stuff where i've had experiences where i felt like oh no there's much more of a, a real connection or an energy connection and those sort of things now that might just be how drugs affect you know your brain <laughs> yeah, as well yeah. i don't i don't have a firm sense on any of those things mm-hmm. i respect anyone's right to believe whatever they want to believe um, but the minute you start killing an innocent person yeah. in the name of your imaginary yeah, thing, exactly, yeah. I start calling them an imaginary thing. Yeah, no, Up no, until no. that point, I'm fine. The thing is, I, th- I think you can yeah. go to a house and like pray to your imaginary thing yeah, and have yeah. fun, and I will respect that, yeah. and I won't call it an imaginary thing. <laughs> but the minute you start fucking bombing people and killing innocent oh, people, I'm like, oh, by the way, you can't do that about imaginary yeah. thing. Well, I don't think any imaginary thing would be happy that that happens. Right. <laughs> in the name of the, the imaginary thing. <laughs> yeah, and you've imagined a bad thing. <laughs> If you think you're imaginary thing. Double imagination. Then. You're imagining a thing already. Imagine a good thing. Why are you imagining this terrible thing? I hate you mostly for your lack of imagination. <laughs> or that you have too much of an imagination. Oh, yeah, that's true. Now, <laughs> but, tell me this. Yeah. Tell me what your, like, religion, where, where you're at with your religion and, um, you know, how you were raised and so, how important it is in your life. And tell me that story. I was ra- So I've been raised Muslim my whole life and uh, born and raised Muslim. I think... My so born. You're raised, from Sri Lanka. From Sri Lanka. Yeah. Lived in Melbourne. My parents split when I was like six, so I was mainly raised by my mum. Uh-huh. Um, and she, you know, she, she was a religious person, kind of in a very. This sounds insulting, but I mean, in a quite a ritual sort of way. Like, she's an, she's a sort of simple person. She just wants to look after her kids, and she just did the things that you know she saw her parents do and teach her. Yeah. I guess when I, I started going to Saturday school and Sunday school ever since I can remember, when I was about mid teens, late teens, I did really start to question my own faith and what it all means, you know, because you're sort of taught from people who are, again, taught from their parents and their parents and their parents and their parents. And when you ask certain questions, I think, not the, well, they, 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 they stress out that, that your faith is being shaken or that you have uncertainty. Right, because they also probably at some stage ask those questions and knows that there is no decent answer. <laughs> so they're like, oh, please don't ask, please don't ask that one. Or they themselves <laughs> actually don't really know the answer. Or they think that, like, it's actually a bad thing to not know and that faith means to have absolute certainty at all times but I don't so that kind of led me to explore all sorts of basically I just I actually did explore all sorts of different faiths Christianity Judaism Buddhism agnosticism you know like just every all sorts of theologies Um, what uh, what, is there one I have not read enough of all those things or like explored enough of all those things to have I um my own opinion on it. Yeah. But I imagine there is like some tenants. Yeah. And if I if I had to guess it would be like, yeah, the golden rule, do unto others yeah. as you would have them do unto you. But I imagine there are certain tenants that yeah. are pretty much universal to all of those things. Yeah, do you think? I'm by no means a theologian. No. But definitely like what you said before. Like 
sanctity of human life, I think all religions preach. And I don't think, I think, you know, the ones that have stood the test of time and are still selling, like, it's about life. You're protecting each other, loving right. each other. And well, it's a bad consumer model to kill your exactly. customers. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> if it's going to be a buyer's market, you need to have some buyers. Right. I mean, no one would buy the iPhone 7 if you only had it for six weeks and then you died. By the way, it doesn't call, it doesn't make phone calls. Oh, actually, some people would buy it. Some people would line up for it. Just for Apple diehards. <laughs> literal Apple diehards. Yeah, just don't bag Apple. You're going to lose a lot of money. Oh, no. This one might go up on iTunes mysteriously. The only people listening out at the NSA and ACO. <laughs> <laughs> hey, like, iTunes sent them a version. Shit, I might get fast tracked into the states next. Time. <laughs> <laughs> I did get detained for four hours. That's another story. But yeah, so I guess um, that kind of whole pursu- phase of my life did lead me back to Islam, and maybe that's because when you grow up with something, that's maybe I don't know. I think there's something that maybe it becomes part of your DNA. That's maybe where your your your, your psychology by default is what you are when you're in your formative years. Right. I'm not going to put words in your mouth because I'm sure you have a very different, more personal experience to it. Yeah. But from an outsider's point of view, like I would uh, put forward the idea that that has a nicer message to it, which is this, that most of those things are probably like everyone's looking for the same thing from them. Yeah. But culturally you grow up with one and that one feels more comfortable to you because, you know, and I think that just the only reason I say that is not about you because your experience would have been very personal to yourself and I'd like to hear about it. But I mean more in a sense of why are we going like, why is someone, I always find it weird that the really religious person in America, like the Christian person is like, has a problem with the really religious like Muslim person when I'm like, no, you guys have heaps in common. You both like believe in this thing that isn't true. I've got to stop saying that. That may be true. That may be... By the end of this, I may convert No, if there is a thing that is true, then surely all those things are us in our tiny human minds trying to interpret this higher God force or thing or whatever. The one thing that maybe is true amongst all religions and ideologies is that pursuit. I think that's what it is, actually. Probably, you know, obviously religions sell sanctity of life, but I think, for me, Islam is about that pursuit of truth. More so than it is about anything that is certain. Okay, interesting. You know, I so, like that. So, like, I, I think, you know, the Quran is there. There's, I was talking to Waleed Ali. I'm mm-hmm. name-dropping. Sure. This is the other day. And, he, and we were talking a little bit about um, Ali, who is, this, who is the fourth leader after the Prophet Muhammad died. Okay. And he, uh, there was a dispute as to uh, someone was assassinated and then there was a dispute as to what they should do with this person. Should they kill him? Should they this or that and the other? And someone said, no, it's clear what's in the Quran. That's what God intended. And then Ali picked up the Quran and said, oh, so, so that's what the Quran meant? Is that what God meant? And then he said, here's a Quran, let it talk. And then everyone was like, what do you, what do you make of it? Like, what, that's so stupid. But that's, his point was that religion is like or Islam or religion is that pursuit. It's that pursuit of reason. It's a pursuit of thought. Like it's really about trying to find that truth. And it's all about interpretation and making sense of your surroundings Everything is culturally relevant. Without that cultural relevance, nothing makes sense. So that's kind of, for me, what Islam has become. Like, it is about approaching truth. You, uh, yeah. I, no, I like yeah. it. It's good. This, so, is, this is fascinating. So there is, there is really, like, uh, you know, as much as some people say, this is what Islam says, uh-huh. yeah, there is, it is clear that you can, do, you can arrive at certain conclusions based on source text, but at the same time, everything, absolutely everything, is an interpretation of God's will. Nothing is clearly God's will in Islam. And once I understood that, I felt a lot freer following Islam, knowing that, you know, just because some guy says something doesn't necessarily mean that that is what it is. There are many other, there are a myriad of interpretations and there are other, there are as many paths to that truth as there are aspirants or people that are trying to, trying to find that truth. So, yeah, that that felt for me like I could go, you know, I could critique, I could um, I could question things that didn't make sense to me, um, and yeah, so I'm evolving as a Muslim day in day out, and I'm, I'm also finding doubt and certainty in, along the way. Delving deep into the archive with Nazim Hussein there from 2015 on Willosophy. I'm Podcast Mike, and this has been another episode of our compilation series, Willosophies. These are coming out on Tuesdays and Thursdays for the next few weeks, so enjoy them. If you do like them, please leave a rating on the podcast. It really helps. 
You can follow our socials at WhilosophyPod on Twitter and Instagram. You can also go to patreon.com slash tofop uh, if you want to donate to the show, which really helps keep the show running. And please tell a friend or tell a family member or anyone who you think might benefit from listening to these chats. Definitely pass it on to them. Huge thanks to Mike Howell over in America who cuts all of these together and to James Fosdyke who puts together the artwork. Thank you so much for listening, guys. Thank you.